Hi, and welcome to The Commons at HBC, a podcast and virtual space for community, conversation, and connection brought to you by the Young Adult Ministry of Highland Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I am your host, David Bannister, longtime member who's volunteered all over the church. If this is your first time listening, welcome. The concept is simple. We will meet with our guest, hear what's going on at the church, and discuss this past week's sermon. So let's get started. Hi, welcome back to the Commons at HBC. I'm your host, David Bannister. I'm so glad you decided to join us. We are in our third week of Lent, and today's guest with me is John Russell Stanger. Hey, John, how's it going? It's good. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you join me. Um, So this is your first time on the show, and you know, some of the people that listen may or may not know of you. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I, in regards to Highland, um, my husband has been there, I think for, gosh, over four years now. We Mm -hmm. started attending together when we moved to Louisville. And then very shortly after I was got a call i'm a presbyterian minister and i got a call to serve a church um and so we made the decision he loved highland so much that he continued to worship there and is now a deacon um his name is guthrie um and i pastored a church for three years while i was in grad school to also become a therapist and then once i went into being a therapist full-time i was able to join him at highland and then the, um, something called a pandemic happened, <laughs> right, as I was able to, to be at Highland. Um, but yeah, so that's been great. So I've been um, a part of the Bible study that he teaches um, and worshiping remotely. I think I got to worship in person for like a month uh, oh. before the pandemic. <laughs> so, well, and uh, and I hear your y'all's Bible study. I've heard stories about this Bible study for years. So <laughs> it's, it's always funny when they all get on a Zoom call together, at least nowadays. Yes. <laughs> well, good, good. So um, yeah, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, which is fine, you already said that, but we were, um, Mary Alice and I had a whole moment where we were like, what was John Russell a minister in and we could not remember and it wasn't we were we were like is it UMC is it we and we went back and forth and we're like I don't we'll find out next week so we're glad you're here um and we're I'm excited that that you'll be um with us so you're um you said you've been um loosely connected through Guthrie for the last three years um and so you all I, you and Guthrie, I know y'all got married a few years ago, and um, what else am I going for? Your husband preached, and I think I we actually covered him on the podcast, Guthrie's Pride, uh, Pride sermon last year we covered, um, because I tried to get you as a guest. So I know that oh, we discussed it, and it was a great sermon, you'll have to go back and listen to it. I don't remember which episode it is, but it's on there. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, we, uh, um, so anyway, pandemic. Yes. Pandemic. What are you doing to stay busy? 
I um so I am working a lot <laughs> um which I had an office I'm in private practice um and so had an office and then since March have not seen a single client in the office and so I work from home um which is not you know working through a computer is like very much not why I went back to school to be a therapist like <laughs> the idea would be that I would be sitting in a room with people right. um and so I'm continuing to adjust to that mm -hmm. um and it looks like you know maybe someday maybe this year I'll get to see people in person again but yeah but it's been I also feel very fortunate that I've been able to work um and 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 that telehealth is an effective way but that really, I mean, we both work from home. Guthrie's always worked remotely previous to the pandemic, traveled a lot for work. Um, but so he was used to working from home. This is very, very new for me. Um, I still, I feel like it's still like the first month of like, what, what <laughs> so do you I've find? Like adjusted a little bit, but yeah. So, so I know you're a therapist. What, what are the, the interesting things you've like, never thought about working from home or the challenges you're dealing with therapy mm -hmm. aside like yeah well we have a small house <laughs> and so being quiet um while the other is working and you know making sure that I, when you have a really best... quiet husband so that makes it easy right uh-huh uh -huh. <laughs> very quiet um very quiet <laughs> doesn't speak loudly at all um but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of benefits that, I mean, I will say, because I create my own schedule, you know, when I have an hour between, you know, sessions now, I can get a lot done <laughs> because I'm already at home. Like if I need to take the dog out, like it's, so there is like a convenience to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the monotony, like I miss my little 10 minute drive to the office, for instance, mm. but yeah. But to be able to kind of, you know, I napped this afternoon in between class that was great that's not something that would have happened before you know what i call those nap gaps when i don't have meetings i have nap gaps <laughs> nap gaps yeah so that's been good cooking a lot more for sure um we've cooked a lot more i've cooked a lot more together doesn't really he he's been known cook. to cook yeah. but they're more like experiments um than meals we might say mm. yep he means well <laughs> no i you know i steven does all does most of our cooking there's nights he'll he'll say hey i need you to cook dinner but he knows the expectation is if he's asking me to cook dinner and he doesn't already have something outlined for me to cook then that means i'm ordering in like that's that's just our unspoken rule if, yeah. if you don't have a plan for me to begin with then i'm ordering yeah. in <laughs> I've become very familiar with DoorDash in a way that was <laughs> not before. Right before it used to be, man, I'm not going to pay for that delivery charge. Yeah. And this last year, it's like, oh man, I got to help those drivers out. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I, I've I've been working from home for for a long time, and the only, but with breaks right it was a convenience thing and i could work home as much as i wanted but it wasn't necessarily my full-time thing i'm losing my mind at home nowadays so i totally understand like and a lot of people are so 
Yeah, and it's amazing how when it's not a choice, it starts to feel very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, is there uh, anything you out? All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we jump into the sermon? Good question. I just want, I think, I, so I, um, so Guthrie and I met in New York. Um, he was finishing up seminary and I was doing LGBT advocacy in the Presbyterian church. Um, and so that's like very important to both of us. I mean, we also obviously are gay. Um, <laughs> and, but I just, I think Highland really, it has been such a positive experience and like, yeah, how welcoming it is, the history there. I know that there what? are people who have made that real um, and worked for a long time like you. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's been a really, that has been such a gift. And I think for me coming out of doing similar work in another denomination, it's nice to be in a non-Presbyterian church and just get to like benefit from that. And so I'm just very grateful. I love Highland. Um, well, and you would have been in the, and maybe that's something we can talk about for a second is you would have been in that work when the fight was happening, right? Correct. Yeah. So I was... Yeah, I was in seminary. When I entered seminary, um, the the language um, that kept us from being ordained was still in what we call the Book of Order. And that change happened in 2011 as I was finishing seminary in Texas. Um, and so I was able to be ordained after that, but then marriage was the next thing. Cause we were, I mean, this is where the Presbyterian church is highly structured <laughs> in everything. Um, and so then it was the marriage fight. And so I was like, I was a professional church gay doing like advocacy work. So I got to the, one of the things that I will like never forget is when we were at our general assembly, which is the national meeting where policies are voted on by representatives from all the regional uh, presbyteries. Um, so we were voting on a more inclusive definition of marriage. And I was the, the New York City Presbytery representative who got to present to the committee um, that was taking that up. And the portion that there were like 16 of us because 16 regions around the country had, had sent the same, we call it an overture, it's basically a bill. Um, and I got to present the part on the impact that um, that like the definition of marriage has on like queer and trans youth, you know, growing up in the church and hearing homophobic or transphobic stuff. And like that, that there's a kind of mission component to not only does it, is it just in the gospel and to be inclusive, but like that also that those kind of things add up and save lives and, mm -hmm. um, and that just really like, and it was shortly after that and that passed um, and getting to be a part of that was amazing. But like being a part of that work and then the youth outreach I was doing with the organization I worked for is how I figured out that I really wanted to be a therapist. I mean, I'm also a pastor and that's great. And I still kind of exercise 
those muscles and live into that um when I can but um but like I saw that like where so many LGBTQ people were finding healing was through therapy <laughs> and I was like that sounds really like I've found that I love it um and long story short a lot of the work I do now is with um LGBTQ adolescents and I just love it and never thought I would be doing it from my house but <laughs> through yeah. the computer but it's great yeah that's amazing yeah and it's really you know I it's so for I don't have a great background on understanding the Presbyterian church yeah. or any other denomination really I have my background yeah. is Catholic and we know that's a whole thing that's so a whole thing <laughs> that's a whole thing and they uh but but it sounds a lot like what the UMC is going through mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. what pre peace yep. uh, Presbyterian church went through and did the Presbyterian church didn't split though right and that's where it yeah it it kind of some did. people would say that it, it did fractured? okay there there a, a whole new denomination was formed um I, sh I shan't speak its name, um, <laughs> but um, but yes, there were. But it's it's interesting to me because we were told like for decades. I mean, the threat of split is what kept moderates from voting for justice. In mm -hmm. my opinion, you know, there 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 was this kind of like that was the you know boogeyman was like, oh well, the church is going to split, and that just can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I vividly remember the first time I was at a meeting where a church. A congregation voted to leave the denomination and it was very sad i mean like no one wants to see that happen um and i i am very kind of haunted by the idea that okay because we exist everywhere meaning the gays um etc like we will still be born into those congregations mm -hmm. that are anti-lgbtq and so like doesn't really solve anything um and I think much fewer congregations left the PCUSA, which is the, the Presbyterian Church USA, um, than, uh, than was um, kind of apocalyptically warned about. Yeah. yeah, and so they did, um, and that's sad. And seeing what our denomination has become after, Mm, I'm trying to be nice after some of that weight was lifted and like we just have much more like at, shortly after we adopted like um policies that affirm the image of God and transgender people and like affirm that um that it's a good thing to be trans like I mean so to go that quickly from like you're not even allowed to be ordained to actually affirm this. yeah <laughs> and like that that wouldn't have happened if people didn't leave. So yeah, I'm not gonna not celebrate what's happened. And I do grieve whatever's going on in those communities. Yeah, no, you're All right. It, but it's like, that's, it, and it's amazing. So I didn't pay much. I wasn't as involved in a church when all that was going on when you were in that work. So, but I am, I do have friends in the UMC church. So it's mm -hmm. fascinating to hear and talk to them about and just to hear you talk about it there's so many parallels of what they're going yes. through yeah yeah for sure but growing pains y'all like you know even yeah. though our our marriage church battle i think that was before you all were here 
you know, mm -hmm. we still had people leave at the end of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we were a, a mostly welcoming church for mm -hmm. the longest time. And we got to that and that was just the, the final line for some people. So, mm -hmm. all right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break. I think that's a good spot to talk, stop um, the interview and we'll come back and we'll discuss uh, Mary Alice's sermon. Um, in the break, I'm going to play the anthem from this weekend's uh, worship service called In Peace, In Peace, Through Christ the Door, and uh, enjoy, and we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. You're at the the Commons at HBC, and I'm your host. And with me still is uh, John Russell. Hey, John Russell, I'm glad you're still with us. I'm glad I'm still here too. Yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a long time already. No, it's been just a few minutes. Hope you all enjoyed the anthem from the service. Uh, another lovely piece sung by the pandemic choir, as I'll call them. You know, the the limited choir. Um, 
and we're here though we're going to talk about the sermon now um reverend mary alice bird whistle preached this weekend um she was my guest last weekend for our guest preacher and and she and i had a great time um the sermon this week is called oh and i just had it the sermon this week is called giving up in the wilderness and it covers john 2 13 through 22 which is you know the pretty famous jesus flipping the tables and chasing everybody out of the temple and uh yeah a little bit of an outburst (laughs) yeah yeah so john talk tell us about it what's going on in that sermon I really, I have to say, I love a sermon that starts, you know, with one thing and then says, but we're going to do the opposite. I just love it. I do it probably too much when I preach, but I love the way that she did that and all the different quotations that, that other people, you know, throughout history had have talked about, about, you know, perseverance and not giving up. And, um, and so then for Mary Alice to invite us to think about times when you know, in quotes, giving up is actually the best thing for us. I thought was a really nice, like, especially for Lent, it's like a very reflective question um, and set of questions that she offered. And so I thought that was, and it resonated with me in choices I've made throughout my life at times. Um, So yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Mary Alice sets, sets things up and she starts talking about how this i don't know if it's a a uniquely american it's not a uniquely american idea but she references winston churchill the idea of never giving up you know after we just heard the gospel message which is where jesus is like quit that (laughs) right um and she then goes into and discusses and brings up um an author named kelly corrigan which I'm not very familiar with, um, but apparently the staff at Highland are, mm-hmm. and um, said on a recent podcast, they had a whole discussion about never giving up. Um, mm-hmm. And as you heard in the sermon, um, she asks them some questions that I thought would be good for us to just discuss, um, which the first question was, what do you regret giving up? And I know I, I'm going to ha- overshare i guys y'all know this on the podcast i'm an overshare so what do i regret giving up Oof, i don't know that's a the other ones are easier than that one i agree i that's this is the one that i've had the hardest time with and i thought maybe tennis like (laughs) like maybe if i'd stuck with tennis i would have gotten better but i was pretty bad and so i think it's hard to know yeah I think about, and I'm, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but maybe, no, this is true. Yeah. Um, regret kind of giving up certain friendships over time, not necessarily giving up, but like falling out of touch or, or not putting in the effort. It's kind of a, a slow giving up that's happened. Um, when I think back to some people I was closer to, like in college or, mm-hmm. Um, looking back, there are people that I that I wish I had 
you know, put more energy into or invested more into. So that's something that I can think I do have regrets around. That's a good point. One of the things, yeah, thank you for saying that because you're triggering all these things for me. One of the things that I don't regret and I'm elated that I didn't give up, which is one of the questions is, you know, that I'm gay, right? Like I gave up heterosexuality or trying to. But one of my consequences of that, Mm -hmm. um, because I came out at the end of college, I really had this like segmentation of Mm -hmm. my before I was gay, before I was out to after I was out. And that's, that would be one of the things I regret was I didn't, Mm -hmm. I, I think it was a defense mechanism almost as let that go because I didn't want to have to deal with having to come out or deal with all of it. So, mm-hmm. so kind of reinvent yourself and make new friendships and mm-hmm. yeah. Like I had the convenience that. that I moved to Louisville and mm-hmm. like left the city. I was born and raised and went to college. Where are, you, are you from Kentucky? Uh, no, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, Ohio oh. side. And then yeah. I moved to Louisville. Yeah. So not too far, but far enough that mom always has to call. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's very convenient. <laughs> Um, is there anything that, uh, so the other question she asks um, is, was there something that you wish you regret not giving up? So, yeah, so something that, the thing that came to mind when she was preaching that I, if I'm getting this right, that I don't regret giving up, right? right. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> um did I get that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, it's high school. I finished it, but I finished it early, like a full year. Um, this also goes back to being gay. I was, I'm from very rural Texas. I um, was very, um, I think everyone understood that I was gay. <laughs> Um, because they told me all the time using yeah. slurs. Yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know a... I didn't know it, but apparently exactly. everyone else did. Yeah. Um, but I like just had a profound sense that I needed to get out of there. Um and I and I and I remember it was not something I mean, it's like it's very Friday night lights culture. It's why would you ever give up your senior year? Because I basically I finished at the end of my junior year. And why would you? I remember friends like moms trying to intervene and say, but like, you're gonna miss your senior prom. And I'm like, I don't know why that makes me so uncomfortable, but I'm thrilled to miss my senior prom. <laughs> Had not quite connected all the dots, but um, but yeah, like everything, there was this, you know, obsession with being a senior and why would you you know, right. the pinnacle of uh, your life, the yeah. pinnacle of your life. I know exactly. Ohio, Ohio high school culture is a lot like that. Like, yes. and if I go back on the Facebook now, I'll see all those same high school friends. And that was the pinnacle. In the same area. I mean, and no shade, but yeah, it's <laughs> the pinnacle. It was not for me. Um, so yeah. And it, it was a, my parents didn't really get it. I remember, I mean, they were supportive and they helped me make it happen. Um, but yeah, I like very quickly at the beginning of my junior year decided that I thought that was the right choice. Um, and so went to college, like very, I was barely 17, my birthday's in May. Um, 
and that I mean all of that was terrifying and like absolutely the right decision and everyone around me but like one guidance counselor <laughs> was saying are you sure are you sure are you sure? you know so that's something I really have zero regrets about yeah yeah what do we not regret giving up sooner yeah it'll go back to it's all gonna go back to my queerness um as it it should (laughs) right you know i regret not coming out sooner that that is the one thing that i came out at 23 22 my last whatever last year of college it was really close to the the winter break type of deal and i just really i think i would have had way more fun i would have been you know i repressed it for so long but i was also at a catholic college campus and i love the nun that i came out to and the advice she gave me and it was like david i love you but finish school don't you know, I would, if I would have come out earlier, who knows what could have happened. Maybe I wouldn't have even finished school, but I do regret not coming to terms with it myself and having it have, you know, been a more conscious decision or at least having a few of my confidants earlier would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel that too. <laughs> I also came out at 22. Um, and yeah, I, and I think, how did you, I think, Mary Alice said like giving up pretending to be straight which was such a beautiful way to mm-hmm. say it and it's such a like I don't know how I could have come out sooner because I was so in my head about it like it I I came out like to my family and friends pretty quickly after I was certain but I just had I mean repression you know as oh, yeah. you know does a number on your brain especially when you're religious Woo-hoo! Mm-hmm. um and so like but I do have a I share a sense of I think there were people who were that looking back were safer than I knew or thought at the time and if I could have I think I could have really had a positive experience in college also but but I wasn't there like I just wasn't there mm-hmm. and one of the I didn't even know this at that so in between um college and seminary I did the I'm very Presbyterian I'm sorry I did the <laughs> Presbyterian Church's young adult volunteer program um and I didn't know at the time and I'm I was in India and so it was through the international like arm of it and they apparently for safety reasons, which I don't even want to get into debating, uh, would not send out people to some of these sites. Um, And so I spent a year in India and if I had been out and I found out later, they thought that I knew that and was closeting myself like purposefully. I was like, oh girl, no, (laughs) like I was, (laughs) I was not there. And yes, I can understand why you thought it was very obvious, like I said, but, but it's, it's real. That was one of the best experiences of my life. And to think that I wouldn't, that that option would not have been there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a, I'm an Enneagram one. And so I do not break rules. Like it's so like, I really inadvertently broke that rule and you didn't even know it. Exactly. And so had I known 
myself and the rule, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, so that's a weird thing, but yeah. Well, I'm a three wing four. So I'm an, <laughs> I'm an overachiever. And so my experience at my cath, so my background, my, I would say my family is culturally Catholic, but I was not raised Catholic. My mom mm. is Catholic in the way that she only does Lent fish fries and doesn't really go to service. Right. She's very typical Catholic, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I went to a Catholic college and uh, because I'm the uh, three wing four, I was like president of the ecumenical faith club as yeah. you would expect. Right. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, the first person I came out to was a nun, right? Yeah. Like, these are the things that I did. Cause I was like, I'm culturally Catholic. I'm going to live into this, you know? And I really wrestled with like the question I was dealing with at the end was my, am I going to become a priest? Is that something I want in my life? Because if I'm gay, like what else is there for me to do? Yeah. And that was the question I was wrestling with that. Thank God, Lord, I went moved to Kentucky and became Baptist. Whoever would have thought. Your, your life would have been very different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes it would. Well, we just found out recently, weird, weird side note. We just found out recently our house was owned by a Catholic priest. Oh, wow. For like you moved years. recently, didn't you? Yes. Last January, we moved into this house in Old Louisville. And we just had a, a historian person research the deeds on our house. And we found out this, that a priest owned our house for like 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so that Catholic energy is still with you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're pretty sure he's the one that put in the Japanese garden in the backyard. So that sounds right. Crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> very culturally appropriated and <laughs> some of the some of the statues make us uncomfortable but we're working on trying to come up with a plan for the backyard <laughs> at some point yeah it is what it is anyway things i would wouldn't regret giving up some of the statues in my backyard everybody <laughs> it's amazing what you that reminds me of when we were um when we we're in the process of buying this house. The seller's realtor was kind of acting as historian. Um, I was telling us about the house. And um, at some point she said, yeah, and the, the neighbors around you, um, well, not us yet, but at the time the house, you know, it's a bit of an artist colony. And we were like, okay. And it turns out that was code for like four lesbian households, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is heaven. Like we, I mean, we are so well taken care of um, by our sisters, but yeah. Um, but it just still, we joke about that all the time with them that they were described as an artist colony. One of them as an artist that was really code for something else. Well, I'll tell you what, here in Old Louisville, it's its own little neighborhood <laughs> at this point. Like you can't throw a rock and not hit a gay person nowadays. So <laughs> yeah. All right, anyway, back to the sermon, right? <laughs> things we want to give up so um mary alice goes on and makes the point i think that's i think we all know right that sometimes it's true we need to not give up not quit it's good to teach our children not to quit when things are hard but as adults we understand that that is not that isn't the case most of the time sometimes you just have to cut and run and that's that's just Mm -hmm. life um, and you and I talked about times that we 
you know, in some ways that we, and regret doing that, but also, you know, it was the right decision too. We can still regret it and know that it was the right decision. So, Mm -hmm. and I think Mary Alice does well to talk about that. Definitely. One of the things that she brings up that I think is a good point is the idea of taking it back to the scripture, you know, talking about destroying the temple um, and, you know, Jesus is that, of course, talking about the body and not the, the building, but that's where the people listening go, right? And they say, oh, we have 46 years into this. And um, she brings up the concept of the sunken cost fallacy, mm-hmm. um, which I totally, you know, it's, it's like the getting a sale. It's all the same, cut from the same cloth, right? If it's some, if it's, if I'm going to lose something, I need to have it, right? Like that's why mm-hmm. short-term sales are so provocative. Yeah. And, you know, I, I haven't talked to, I don't know. It, it made me think to some of my older gay friends that I've had conversations with. Um, it, it, it's an interesting point to bring up because if they came out way later in life, mm-hmm. it got harder and harder for them to come out. And that whole sunken cost fallacy of why, why at this point would I do that? Mm-hmm. But then there's the flip side of as they have come out, they said, why did I ever wait? And why did I ever like, this was the absolute right decision. And that's, that's what the, her comment on that kind of made me think of. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think you're so right. Because, and I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about people I've worked with and yeah, when, when you've invested a lot in a certain life or a certain job or, um, it's very like you know what you know you know what you have and the idea of losing that and not knowing where that would go like um and so in hindsight like coming out as like the greatest thing ever <laughs> um because you gain your self and your life and my goodness um but yeah but but at the time like the moment that's why i think it's i think it's so interesting when people now culturally like minimize someone coming out and I'm just like, whoever you, that is such a like radical act of bravery. Cause it really is like, you are taking a huge risk because you don't know until you do it, what it's going to be. Um, and it turns out that like being yourself is a great thing. <laughs> right. Um, especially like, you know, especially for, I have a lot of friends that have come out to me as bisexual in the mm-hmm. last few years and like, Honestly, I think that takes more courage in many cases Mm -hmm. than to to come out as gay because it's such an in-between world that I don't live in or even have to understand or deal with anymore that, or, and and living as a trans person, right? These are, Mm -hmm. these are, I think, more difficult experiences. Like you can camouflage yourself in any of these situations. So I don't want to say that none of us can hide in plain sight. But there is some weird things that happen in those two experiences that I feel like us as gay men and lesbians don't necessarily have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So, no, they're definitely, yeah, yeah, they're uniquely difficult. Um, 
Oh yeah, I think people, if there's ever ambiguity, like, I mean, so if you're bisexual or non-binary, if it's not something that people can easily readily understand, I mean, the like labor that people have to put up with of, ex, you know, kind of explaining and justifying complex identities, mm-hmm. which is a nice reminder that like, it doesn't always get better, you know, that it sometimes coming out actually really sucks. And, and that's, you know, and as I say that, I'm thinking about the relation, the family members that I don't speak to, you know, that I've lost and, um, and then those that I've gained that, you know, like more distant cousins who I didn't know, you know, who are incredible, like that I didn't know as well. So it's, what a complex thing to try to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, and that's family yeah. mucks up so much, right? It, yeah. They can be great. They can be amazing. And then they can just be awful. Yeah. And that's, and, and then everything in between, everything in between. And that's, that's one of the hard, you know, when people, that's one of the hard things people struggle to, I think, to give up more than anything is, mm-hmm. I think biological family is in, and, you know, super close friends and toxic relationships are the worst. And that that sense of, well, I know this friend and they're not always like this. And you, you get into that abuser mm-hmm. uh, victim relationship cycle, right? And I've been in that with friends. I've been in that with family members. It's so hard to give. It's so hard to stand up for yourself mm-hmm. just because of that that what did what did i call it the sunken cost fallacy right yeah. like you're my oldest friend i guess i'll let it slide again right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's not and i think in the church like there's historically been such little support for the idea of having boundaries <laughs> and saying like i don't have to stay in a relation i can because i mean we talk about forgiveness and reconciliation so much which like sometimes needs to look like I love you and I can't mm-hmm. speak to you anymore you know like but that's not something I heard growing up yeah it's, well yeah. and I guess hot off the news from yesterday this is a great example of Beth Moore Beth yeah. Moore famous southern baptist woman mm-hmm. turning away and saying you know what guys I'm done with you mm-hmm. and after I mean and I haven't followed it super closely but it sounds like after like basically pleading with them to take women and sexual assault seriously and yeah I I saw some great people who on Twitter and and such saying like um like even when something like that is the right thing it's hard to like accurately describe just how painful it is for someone who I mean, it's a divorce, and she's invested how much in that denomination? Right. Yeah, her whole li- like her whole life, right? Yeah. She has I accepted that she's a, she's accepted she's like a permanent Bible study teacher because of the Southern Baptist views. Mm-hmm. When we all know that she is a preacher, and uh, it's just so frustrating. And I'm, I hope, I hope that she finds some peace wherever she lands. She said she's still going to be Baptist, right? So. Yeah in the in the i just it makes me think back to highland's history which mm-hmm. you know a little bit about right 
this is what started the conversation for Highland was women in ministry, right? Mm-hmm. And who knows if Beth Moore is gonna be running down that path or not. That's up to her and and mm-hmm. and what she finds. But you know, it it takes an event like this, you know, to happen to make that. Change. You know what I? This just reminded me that I like heard about Beth Moore um, from my college girlfriend who was Southern Baptist and who is now a Baptist minister. So we've all grown. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a circle. <laughs> I think she's cooperative Baptist also. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mary Allison moves us into talking about the difference between never giving up and resilience. And I will say as a technical developer type of person, I totally, this is, these two terms are so frustrating. And like, I live these two things out in my job every day of, do I give up on this because I can't figure it out? Or do I just keep trying? So my my fun example was last night I was up till 3 a.m. working on this thing for work, this technical project. And like, I'm so close. Like I see it working, right? And then there's some little issue and I'm like, how do I fix that little issue? And so I have to attack it from a different angle. And then I have to, anyway, the idea of resilience. I feel like I am programmed to be resilient. Like it is, professionally part of me but also as a gay person I think we are built to be more resilient than most people like we're used to dealing with lots of resilience in lots of different ways and relationships and how we have grown up but that yeah yeah I don't know what what are your thoughts on resilience and never giving up oh my gosh I think it's I think you're right in the sense um yeah I mean it takes incredible resilience to tell the world like I know you've said I'm one thing but that's actually not accurate and I trust and know myself better and whether that's gay or bisexual or trans like that to be able to do that is like incredibly resilient um but yeah I think because being a therapist I think about and my work like resilience is the kind of other side of the coin of trauma. And so something that I will like talk to people about um, so that things aren't always so problem saturated or, or trauma is just trauma, trauma, trauma. And you have the other side of that is, okay, and where's your resilience? Like what have, how have you learned um, to cope with trauma? How have you learned how to respond to it? What are the skills you have, you know? And so like, that's when I hear resilience, that's where my mind immediately goes is in, and my goodness, I mean, yeah, I, I just think about every queer person who's ever been in a difficult family and has survived it. But I, yeah, I just have such compassion for, mm-hmm. for us, <laughs> um, for being able to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, it's like, and it, it and it's what was I reading earlier about this? It was like, and we're not saying that straight people don't have difficult relation or you know difficult childhood no, either, right? No. But you know, we just have an added layer of crap to work through, 
And, and, and I am, I'm happy to admit that yes, most of our childhoods may have sucked and, <laughs> and we all have a lot of trauma because our parents had trauma, which was yeah. perpetrated by our parents and their parents. And it's this terrible mm-hmm. cycle and all leading up to gay children and everything else. <laughs> like, and then you have gay children. Great, um, great. Yeah. That was a joke in case anybody wasn't wasn't following me on that. That that is no way a result of any of that. But yeah. All right. So I guess the last thing we can talk about um, is Mary Alice talks about us being in the anniversary of quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. This has been a wild year, mm-hmm. and you're a therapist, you, you are witnessing the mental health crisis that plaguing everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have, I don't know what I'm going for here. What do you, I don't have advice. Where are you at for like, where's your head coming out of a year of all this? Like where, where, where are you at? What are you thinking about as just a person, not necessarily a therapist, unless that's what you want to go into? It's, uh, I mean, I guess, uh, I think, I think the term resilience is in my mind. And I say that knowing that like the human toll from like directly from COVID and then from mental health, including deaths by suicide, like that is all, um, I think that I think that we will we're, we have not collectively grieved like that's my sense is that we don't know how to process that over 500,000 people have died like that that's not real to us mm-hmm. yet it is for people who have lost a specific person or persons right but like there's this whole I think because we're still in it and so we're still um we're, we're still surviving it that like I think there's going to be a very long tail on the end of this of grief and of making sense of what does it mean that we let this happen to the extent that it did and what does it mean that people chose not to wear masks for some principled reason that like contributed to other people's death like there's so much that we have not dealt with or Um, or we hope that people will look (laughs) in the mirror right that's the yeah and i i think my i have hope that that will happen somehow that like and i think that's where faith communities come at like we we know how to make meaning and i think continuing to provide those that kind of space um but yeah i think it's hard i think i feel the fatigue of it and that's what and the frustration and that's what i hear a lot mm-hmm. um i'm regard i am not a scientist but I will say I'm glad that the teenagers I know are learning to get to go back to school somewhat because for some of them being forced into this kind of isolation has been just incredible. The New York Times had a great piece a couple months ago about what it's done specifically to adolescents. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just want it to be over. I want it to be over. <laughs> vaccines to be in us I want like um and yeah and I think you know I I think there are things like the fact that we have been able 
to use technology and to make changes as quickly as we did to be able to stay connected. Like, I think things like that are really encouraging and that flexibility that's been, I will say as somewhat like I spend many hours a day trying to make like intense eye contact, you know, which is like, it's not even the same as being in like a meeting. I'm like trying to demonstrate empathy constantly through a screen. Um, and so I, something that's been hard for me is the socializing piece. Cause I don't want to get on a zoom with friends. Like, cause it's, the last thing I want to do after right. a work day and that's hard so I'm, I'm excited I can sense I mean just with the weather being again oh yeah open I'm up excited the my house yeah open <laughs> yeah, up the windows to, of my house today yeah but, but people, you just made me think like what if this was 15 years ago yes yes and we were suffering through this could you imagine us having to use AOL in this capacity like can you imagine how dramatic the AIM like usernames would be? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's where we're at, y'all. This this is yeah. how great we are. We're we're like hypothesizing at this level. I think this the the, the laughter and the the you said it the exhaustion. I, yeah. I'm just so tired. So tired. I am not a person who enjoys routine. I'm a person who loves variety with stability and there's a difference. Mm -hmm. And having the same lack of variety in my life, I'm really bad at routine to begin with. I'm just wasting away, waiting for <laughs> the, the monotony. To go. Mm -hmm. Like the monotony of the same. That's another thing I've heard a lot of people say. It's like, they'll say, I get up and then I do this and then this, you know, and it's that, that repetition, which is not good for our brain. Like we don't have things to talk to people about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Like I jokingly talked to my husband, like we had this joke for the first couple of months of quarantine with, and I think I talked about this in the last call last week, but what's, uh, what's your week look like this was like a sunday night routine for us yes and yes. after the first few months of that it just died it died a sad yeah. death and i don't ask that question anymore we jokingly will say like do you want to connect later or like dive together <laughs> <laughs> that's all we're doing right yeah mm -hmm. oh goodness well uh <laughs> i th i think that's a good place to just to stop um thank you so much for joining me tonight i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me yeah Have a great time. all right y'all next week on the podcast we will have eli cunningham which i am super pumped to talk about because i have not talked to eli in a very long time and i am loosely associated with eli's dad's bible study that i haven't been attending so it'll be great to catch up on all that um so make sure you uh listen in we're on all of the services if this is your first time listening you can find us on itunes you can find us on stitcher and you can find us on google podcasts um and until we until next week talk to you then thanks <laughs>